Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope, and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. If you could grab the cards that are on your seat. Um, Easter, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a celebration that we have. Uh, it's the most powerful celebration in our faith that Jesus rose from the dead. And that changes everything. So we've been talking about that, obviously. Um, so the information is there. Uh, same two services. For us, the way we treat it, it's our family. Our family is celebrating and guests are invited. So if you have family or friends that you want to invite, you're welcome to invite them. Um, but we don't put on a show. We just try to worship like we normally do. And that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, we'll be doing it outside just because more people come, more guests typically come on Easter. Um, but our focus is to honor him, and I just want to give you guys the heads up on that. Um, next week is the feast, and um, this is my time to put in my food requests, and so I'm going to do that. If you're visiting or you don't really know what we're talking about, we've set aside the last Sunday of every month for us to eat together. So we finish a little bit early in the first service, and then second service comes earlier, and in the middle... At 10 a.m., we eat together. And so uh, from the ties, we bring some food. But we also want you to bring some food also because it's that act of preparing to give to your family and for guests. And so um, I would like some fresh squeezed juice. If any of you guys do juice, juice would be nice for me. This is not for everybody else. This is really just for me. Um, if we could go a little low on the muffins and those bready things because then I get all tired afterwards. And uh, what else? Um, oh. Where, where's Auntie? We need that rice. You know what I'm talking about, right, Jeanette? The rice, the, the, you know, the real fancy. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so um, also if you could grab this card. This is the series we've been going through. Um, and there's a different card for each Sunday. And there is a blank space, if you see on the orange side on the top. So if you guys could all hold that up so I know you know what I'm talking about. Okay, thank you. Um, it says, is your blank holy. Okay, so we'll fill in that blank this morning, and then uh, there's a scripture on the back. We have different scriptures, and, and each of the cards we've had, these are all bookmarks, and when you put them all together, it will create something at Easter, and so I want you to keep these if you can. Uh, I just got back uh, from El Salvador, and I go there at least once a year, sometimes twice. Um, we as a family, and as branches also feel called to support uh, our friends that are down there that are ministering in the coastal area in the center of the coast. And it's in an area called El Tunco. Um, in El Salvador, it's much different than here. Um, people, the, the wealthy, live in the city, and the poor are at the beaches and in the mountains. Weird, huh? And you know how when the weather's like really hot, you want to go to the beach? Um, or if it's really cold, you go to the beach, well, there for some reason? It is miserably hot at the beach, and everyone's like, oh, we got to escape the heat. Let's go to the mountains. Or actually, not even the mountains. Let's go to the city. Who goes to the city to cool off? But for some reason, the way El Salvador is set up, it's just blazing hot at the beach. So the, the beaches and the mountains, the, the difficult places to get to, are where the poorest of the poor are in El Salvador. El Salvador is one of the ten poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. And um, if you know much about their history, uh, they were devastated by a civil war in the 80s. And so 
there's so much in their hearts and in their economy that's a mess. And um, there's a family there that, um, that I met a few years ago. And when I met him for the first time, uh, I knew the Lord put on my heart that this is why we were called to come to Central America. And so it's, it's the Castellanos family, and they started Christian surfers there. But um, they're a unique family. They're a unique family in this in that um, he's, not, he's a pastor, but that's not his job. Does that make sense? It doesn't make too much sense because here, it's your job. Um, he is the Ron Burgundy of El Salvador. That's his job. So I have a picture of him here. If, you've, if you haven't been with us to meet him, um, so this is him. So I, it was take your pastor to work day. So he took me with him to work as he was doing the primetime news in El Salvador. And the, see that little glass to the side? I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm like, I had, because no one, no one on the TV could see that. And I'm looking going, that's weird. They bring him a beer. So in between commercials, he can just like have a beer. You know, it's El Salvador, not a big deal. I thought, oh, maybe it's for his vocal cords so he can pronunciate direcciones, you know, when he was doing. The... So the whole time, I'm like, that's like a unique thing. So as we're driving back, I was like, so do you always have a beer during the, and he laughs. He goes, beer? It was tea. Because <laughs> there's a rule. We can't have any alcohol. Um, so this is, uh, his full name is Salvador. But if you uh, live there and your name's Salvador, they call you Chamba. So everybody knows him as Chamba. And, um, and then the next picture is uh, uh, Keaton with his daughter to the far right, his son Marcelo, and his wife uh, Maji. And so we were together, and, and what came about from my time there, um, they asked me to come because we were working on this project together where they want to start, it's pretty exciting, because they don't know about La Casa that we do here, but they're starting their own downtown and, and in, right in the heart of the, 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 the town. And they called it. I had no idea this. I'm sitting there in the meeting as we're planning this. Our working name right now is La Casita. That's what we think we want to call it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. Um, and basically what it is, is they want to have a community center to give hopes and dreams to the kids there because they don't have any dreams. They don't feel like they can go anywhere. They, they're not dreamers and they're not doers. And they want to give them that opportunity. And so we're sitting here around this table. Uh, Chamba's not here at this point, but at one time we're sitting on their little outdoor table. And Chamba looks at me as they're talking about this project. And he says, look at my family. He goes, we have everything. He goes, but how can we sit here and do nothing? He says, we belong to God. We've set ourselves aside for him. And so here in your blank space, is there an echo, by the way? You guys hear that echo? If you could maybe... Oh, you're the master. I just don't know. I feel... I just wonder if I was becoming more holy myself right now. I'm not used to that. Um, So the blank space, if you grab your pens, is your family holy? Is your family holy? Now, some of you may go, my kids just, they left already. It's just me. I just have grandkids. You still have a family. Some of you are like, I'm not even married yet. What are you talking about family? This is nothing. You will. You always will. Um, some of you are just got married. We don't have kids. You have a family. Some of you are divorced. But I, I, what do you mean my family? Your family. Is your family set aside? That's what holy means, to be set apart, to be distinct, to be special. Um, 
when we talk about Sunday mornings, God said that, that the Sabbath, whether you celebrate on Saturday or Sunday, that day where you dedicate it to the Lord, where it's His, all His, is your life holy? I mean, it's not like just one day is supposed to be holy, but that Sunday morning, when we come here, we could come just to consume. We could come here just to accept. But are we coming to say, Lord, this is yours? And in the same way, is your family holy, like the Castellanos did? And so this morning, I want us to look at that. We're going to look at uh, some scriptures. But to do this, um, one of my best friends in the history of my life, um, and currently right now, is here. And they um, had a very unique experience that I want them to share with you because they have set their family aside. They are a holy family. Sounds weird to say, doesn't it? Like if I said, hey, this is the Nortons. They're holy. You'd be like, what does that mean? It means that they've set themselves aside. You know what? I can just use the handheld. We'll do that. Yeah. You like that? So I'm going to invite the uh, Norton family up right now. If you could welcome them up. And so while they're coming up, um, Kirsten, could you help them out with the mics? Because now that I'm using this one, they don't have this one. Um, So what they did, they've done a lot, but one of the things that they did recently um, in the past three years or four years, they've gone on two trips around the world. Um, Dr. Norton, as you guys know him when he comes and teaches here, it's very important. He said, you need to introduce me as doctor. You know how I am about that. And uh, so he's a professor at the University of Concordia, Concordia University. And they uh, have a trip where they take students around the world for five months. Um, A different country for two weeks. um, And over the course of that, they go to ten different countries. And so he said, well, I'll do it, but my family is coming. And so they've done this twice. And through that experience, they get to do what none of us really get to do for the most part see their family there and to see their family here and to see the difference. And so they had the opportunity to think about what does that mean to be a holy family, to set their family aside. So I'll pass it over to John and and I'll be asking him questions and we'll go back and forth, but I'm going to hand it to the doctor. Thank you, Boog. Hi, everybody. I know there's a few of you I've spoken here before and and described the trip at at some length, but just for, for the new folks. Oh, there you go. Um, the trip is, again, through Concordia University. We uh, came up with an idea, another professor and myself, another English professor, to do a study abroad trip. Basically, it's a study abroad. Students that go earn a minor in global cultural studies. Along the way, they earn 15 units of coursework, or they do 15 units of coursework. Boog said, we go for five months, spend two weeks in 10 different countries. So 20 weeks. And the trip is organized each day. The morning, typically, is, is reserved for is some kind of study. We do our academic time there. The students are studying religion, literature, uh, writing, service learning, practicum, and language, all rooted in, and catered to each country, right? So they're learning the literature of Bolivia. They're learning the history of Cambodia and so forth. Each afternoon is dedicated to engagement with some kind of a, a missionary, an NGO, uh, some kind of a service project. Sometimes it's churches as well. And, and so that's kind of our day. And we, we travel in 20 weeks of that. Very 
systematic, very organized, very uh, itinerary kind of driven in that way, that each day is very organized. And so it ends up being really a neat discipline, our time of great discipline, where we're, each day we're studying and serving and praying and worshiping together. Um, our first trip was in 2010. That was our inaugural uh, venture. And in 2012, we had this little guy, so we didn't go. I dropped in with the team for a couple of weeks. And then 2014, this last fall, was our, our second time. Color commentary. We, our notes have kind of gone back and forth, so I'm, I'm looking at Erica because she has color commentary. What did I leave out? <laughs> uh, thanks for having us, Bug. This is really special to get to share as a family. And uh, um, pretty much he described it. We just wanted to say hello. Hello. He likes microphones. I thought this might be... We were going to drop him off in the child care, and I thought, well, he went on the trip. You guys got to see who, who went on it. But um, for our family, um, since you guys are talking about families um, right now, too, as well, and for our family, this, um, this trip is a pretty crazy, big experience, and I, I'm, we're not going to go into a story from every country. I think we'd be here for hours, but just wanted to quickly tell you where we went, just so you can get an idea of, of what we did, and then... It, we can kind of go on from there, but um, the, on this trip, we we were in Brazil, and we worked with a community outreach group there. Then we were in Paraguay, and we worked with a girls' home orphanage there. And then we went to South Africa, and we worked in a Christian school in South Africa in a township. And then we were in uh, Turkey. We were in Turkey after that, working with a Syrian refugee camp. And after that, we were in Romania, working with a church there that um, is really reaching out into their community and um, has started abolition, working with um, the trafficking, horrific trafficking situation there in East Europe. And after that, we were in Nepal. That was very crazy and amazing, but we were deep in the hills with missionaries that hiked to villages and (laughs) dragged us along the way. Um, and then after that, we were in India, and we worked with the Mother Teresa homes in Calcutta, India, and then on to Thailand for a time of rest, and Cambodia, working with a, a Bible institute there that has planted churches in the rural areas and did some VBS out in the villages, and then on to South Korea um, to connect with a church there and debrief our trip and, and take our final. So that gives you the broad scope, but for us... As a, as a family, our greatest part of this whole thing is that we get to work with college students. And that has changed our life. Um, like I said, John's been a professor for 10 years. 10 years. And about halfway through this job of him being a professor, we had always had kind of a deep desire to, to travel internationally, um, to go on the missions field, whether it was going to be here, um, here, abroad, wherever it was going to be. And this trip to us is an answer to prayer that we had no idea how to even conjure up. So I feel like our testimony of our family is that God is very creative and will do some of the most amazing things that blow your mind with your family. And for us, um, we were shocked that he would pull together John's job um, with something deep in us that desired to be with college students and grow a community. Many of these college students have never been in a, in a true sense of a community before and walked closely with one another in worship and prayer. And, um, so for us, this trip is much more than the 
of course, we get to go to these fabulous countries and connect with heroes of the faith that blow our minds. But um, the biggest part is that God answered a prayer for our family and made it be something that our family got to do and our kids at a very young age. And um, we'll talk more about that later. But Well, a quick interjection there. When, when I first came home with the news, we were, we were going on this trip or it was an opportunity. I was heading out of town on a retreat and I said, hey, check your, your inbox. You know, I sent you an email from our provost, the provost of the school, the head of the school had given the, the green light on this trip. I said, I think, you'll, I think you'll like it. We hadn't even talked about it. I hadn't even mentioned it to her, right? And so she, she calls me. I'm on the way, and she's crying. I've been praying for this like, exact thing. You know, I didn't tell you all the details, but I don't want to put pressure on you, but I've been wanting to do this exact thing. And so one of the biggest things of the trip, probably twofold, is, is college ministry, but also just a desire of the heart that we've been praying for, that Erica had been praying for specifically. I already had my dream job, but she wanted in on some of the fun. And so... She started praying, and it was, it was amazing to see wait, God answer that. Wait, wait, I never heard this. So you're telling me that she found out about the possibility of going around the world by an email? His exact, his exact words as he pulled out of this street with his friends, they were going to a men's retreat. He goes, check your email. Your dreams might come true. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to show you um, a passage of scripture, and this is for you to pay attention to, by the way. Um, if you could put the uh, passage from um, Isaiah up there, please. Uh, there are a few passages that, we're, that are going to kind of be our theme while we're here. Uh, and this is the first one I want to share with you. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. So King Hezekiah and Isaiah, a prophet sent by the Lord, came to him and said to him, This is what the Lord says to you. Set your house in order. And many of you have heard this only brought up when you're going to die. All right? No, that's not why I'm referring to you. For you shall die, talking to Hezekiah, and you shall not recover. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted the Nortons to share as well. They've made the decision to set their house in order now. Many people, when they get towards the end, they're like, oh, I have to fix things. Instead of setting the course ahead of time. And this is a family that prays. This is, I mean, the reason that they could even get to this point for him to say, check your email box and do that is because they've been praying and seeking, Lord, put the desires of your heart in our hearts. And if you know them, it's not like, hey, we just want to travel. That's not what this is about. It's much more than that. And that's why I'm excited to hear where they go from here. Okay. Well, like I said, I think uh, we could share stories from every country, but we thought just to get a taste of it, our kids experienced quite a lot um, four years ago as well on the first trip. But on this one, them being a little bit older this time and being able to take it in. And uh, one of our favorite lines for the trip for our family and for the college students is we feel like this trip, um, yes, it's very fast paced to see so many um, countries and to connect with so many people, but we always say, you know, this trip is allowing us to see what's possible in the kingdom of God, that we connect with missionaries and churches and NGOs in every different country, and they're all, they're all, um, they all love the Lord, they're all serving people around them, but they're all doing it so differently, and it's a beautiful picture of, um, that God uses all of us, and he uses us all very uniquely and um, in very different circumstances. And so to, to every two weeks be in a new place and, and see the way God is moving. Oh, Josh to the rescue. He's going to get Sheffield. Um, so, um, for instance, um, both our kids are going to share just a little story of, of how they saw God work on this trip. And, um, and one way they um, saw it is 
is that they connected very differently with very different countries and very different types of ministry. Um, Naomi, probably her, her story, which she'll share in a minute, is she connected deeply with working with the nuns in Calcutta, India. It was um, a life-changing thing for her. And Jack connected um, in Paraguay with uh, the youth pastor there, and he was also the gardener and the taker, he, uh, caretaker of um, all this property that this girl's home had. And uh, Jack learned that he loved to work with his hands, do hard work, and um, that was to the glory of God as well. So I want to share a little bit about your time meeting Luis and what you did there. Um, so when we were there, we did, um, one of the projects that they had us do was um, they had this park there, and Paraguay is really hot, so they wanted us to build like a covering, like a shade. And so they had us dig these like huge holes. They're like really big, and they like put the poles in. And um, so I kind of liked that because I kind of like to dig, I guess. Um, Wait, hold, what? You like to dig? Yeah. All right. Yeah. This afternoon, we're all good. My house. We got some work to do. You just committed yourself. <laughs> and, but another thing that I did with um, Luis, the gardener, and like the youth pastor, I really liked him, and he was really nice to me. So, um, and he really liked when I helped him. So, I helped him with a bunch of the gardening and stuff with the plants. And um, one of the things that we planted was this, like, thing of um, he had this idea of putting hope with, like, seedlings. Spell the word hope. Yeah, like, spell it. And so we put the seedlings there. And um, and then when we were in Cambodia, um, he sent us a picture of it, and, like, it had bloomed. So I thought that was kind of cool, like, hope had bloomed. And, Yeah. It was a cool picture of, of the seeds being planted and watching that grow, right? In front of the center of hope for yeah. these women. Yeah, that, that's another great example that Erica said of the heart's desire, right? So the kids all on this trip, they're getting dragged, you know, country to country. <laughs> and each time, especially this time, we talked about, you know, what, this, what is this going to be like? And so we just started praying, well, you know what, ask God for certain things. Ask God to, to meet you. Ask God to give you something that will be really fun for you. And so they began to pray very specifically, almost in a humorous way, but in another humorous way, we saw God answer. And I mean, at different points in the trip, I just looked at them and I said, are you guys noticing what's going on here? I mean, they were asking for things like really good air conditioning. (laughs) Is that fine? And we had pretty darn good air conditioning in a lot of really hot places. Other things was I want, I want to work with my hands. I want to do, you know, hard labor. And so we end up, I mean, those holes were four feet deep. It was one of those Paul Gates, yeah, uh, Children Around the World um, playgrounds that we worked with. We put the cover over the top of it. And in the middle of it, Jack and I are digging a five-foot deep hole, which is <laughs> horrifying. My hands are still not fully recovered. But I looked at him. I was like, dude, you prayed for this. Dude, you prayed for this. You know what I mean? I was a little irritated at the time. And he was smiling the whole time and running around with a construction guy, doing great stuff and projects. So pretty awesome. Okay, and then uh, Naomi, um, she'll share a little bit about the transition from last trip to this trip. But four years ago, we went to India as well on our first around the world trip. And it was a very, very difficult, it was a very difficult time, those two weeks of our trip four years ago. Um, Just where we were staying, um, we got very sick. Um, 
Yes. <laughs> Just tough. It was a tough two weeks. Yes. And very difficult, I believe, on our, she was only six years old at the time. So um, her feeling of when we got home from the trip was, I can't wait to do another round the world trip. And please, can we never go back to India, was what she said. And so a few years down the road when we're starting to plan and John comes home with the new itinerary and we're going to India. (laughs) This is what she thought. I was not excited that we were going to India again. And especially because um, afterward was was Thailand, which was like the rest country. So everyone was saying like, just, we just need to get out of um, India or go through it. And like, I hope it goes quick. But um, when we worked with the Mother Teresa homes, it was really, like, I, like, was really scared at first, but um, I met a little... Tell them about the home, where you worked. Oh, we worked at Diadon. It was a um, home for disabled... um, Abandoned children. Abandoned children, and um, so it was, like, sad to see all of them, but then it was happy. I was, like, happy to see that they were being cared for. And um, there was a little two-year-old, her name was Pooja, and um, I connected with her the first day, and so she kind of, like, made that my favorite country for the last trip, and then that made me happy for um, going back to India, and now I want to go back again, (laughs) and so, yeah. Uh, she was very scared uh, the first day when we walked into that, just working, um, you could probably just somewhat imagine a uh, orphanage in Calcutta, India, for abandoned children from the streets, severely disabled. Most had been found in train stations and dumpsters and everything you can imagine. And uh, so it was a very difficult um, emotionally to walk into something like that and realize, oh, we're going to be here every day for two weeks. Like, whew, you know, just, I mean, as an adult, I felt that, let alone as, um, you know, children. And, but to see her exact prayer was that God would connect her with someone and make it feel personal and that she would love someone there. And by that end of that day, she loved this little girl. And I saw Naomi, I mean, every day she would go, we would go back to where we were staying and she would talk about, oh, Pooja, tomorrow I'm going to help her learn to walk. Her legs are, are getting stiff. And, and she would just, she would have all these ideas and she was so excited. It was just really amazing to see such a change. And that's such a beautiful thing that God did for her. And she hasn't start, stopped talking about India and she keeps recruiting everyone she knows. Friends come over from our neighborhood to play and they come downstairs from the room and she, they're like, she said, um, Bella wants to go to India with us now. <laughs> so she's recruiting everybody to go back to India with us. So it's just beautiful to see the switch. Um, when I was talking with uh, Nordy about this and he was sharing Naomi's story, he said something um, that is the reason why I brought up the Castellanos family when we started. He said when they had left, um, Naomi was a, a crying mess <laughs> because she was worried for Pooja. She goes, who's, who's going to be with her? Somebody has to do something. What 8-year-old says that? What 10-year-old says that? What 12-year-old? What 50-year-old says that? Somebody has to do something. Um, and with my time with Chamba and my time with my own family, um, if you could put up the Joshua 24 passage. Um, Joshua said this in the Old Testament. And you've, you've heard this before, but you usually see the highlighted verse. But this is what he said. He says, before the highlighted verse that you always hear. 
But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Because we all serve someone. We're all serving something. He goes, okay, if you're not going to serve God himself, then you need to choose who are you serving. Whether the gods your ancestors serves beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. It could be pleasure. It could be money. It could be people's approval. It could be just rest. It could be comfort. But this is what Joshua says about himself. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the Nortons, um, I mean, we've been friends for a long time. I remember when he first started dating Erica. And I'm like, well, who's this girl? What's up? And, um, but he had made the decision even beforehand that my family, we will serve the Lord. And Erica had made that decision before she ever met John. And when they met, it was an obvious decision. Though This is what our family is going to be. And the reason they would put their kids in this position was, hey, this is what we feel God has called us to do. And so they left together. And Naomi is there in India where she did not want to go. <laughs> but she went because she trusted her parents. And she... At her age, it's, Lord, I belong to you. And when you belong to him, he's going to put stuff in your heart where you're, you're broken. Sounds weird. Oh, you serve God? Oh, he's going to break your heart. But he's going to break your heart for those who he loves. And so her heart was broken. And, and obviously, we're here not to just talk about the trip, you know, as we talked about. But what have you learned? You know, obviously, there's so many experiences on the trip and then coming back home and the the re-entry, and so what does it mean for you? What did you learn while you were there from other families? What did you learn through this experience and then coming back about what does it mean to serve the Lord? I love your, your comment about the heart. I think this experience in part has shown us, yes, through broken hearts, that in some ways that's, that's what our heart's for, right? Our heart, part of the, the meaning and fashioning of our heart is to be broken, is to be broken for others. And, and when that happens, you feel like, a new experience. Well, this is what actually what I'm made for. This is what that organ is for, to actually serve others through empathy and, and sympathy and love and care. Along the trip, we learned a lot of different lessons that we brought home. Erica had this awesome metaphor that we, we shared with the team, and I thought it was brilliant. I'm the, I'm the literature professor, and she's building the best metaphor, so it's a little humbling. But we share that metaphor. We, I know we're going to talk about that a little bit, but it's such a good one for what we're going through now and how we're trying to reintegrate a lot of the lessons back into regular life? Mm-hmm. Um, well, we were in kind of our debriefing when you get home, just the feeling of our hearts being, our hearts were broken and very opened up to the needs around the world, um, to families around the world that are just like us, living in the most complete polar opposite um, type of place than we live here. Um, but yet family is still so important and community and church no matter where we go. And it was a beautiful thing to see. Um, but how it's changed us is kind of the metaphor we used was like it was like how high altitude training. Like how an athlete, athletes go, you know, to Colorado to train for a few months because it's high altitude training. And they get stronger and they get used to that um, pace. And it's harder and it's harder work than they get used to it. Then they go down to sea level or wherever they're going to go compete and their lungs are expanded their muscles are stronger and uh, their hearts probably pumping but whatever you know all the mechanics of that of that high altitude training there's a reason why why they go do that and this trip for us i feel like kind of trained our family at high altitude training it um opened up our capacity for 
um, what, how to love, um, how to work as a family in the midst of staying in one little tight room for five months and traveling and never, ever being away from each other and um, being with 38 college, we were with a team of 38. I don't think we ever fully said that. So we were with 28 college students 24-7 for five months. And um, it expanded our family being able to have others part of our family. And that our family is not just the five of us, that it truly is those that God's put around us. And so this high altitude training, it's like on this trip, we're just, uh, our heart is expanded, our um, capacity to um, you know, we're worshiping and praying every day as a team, and that's, that's not our normal life at home every day. I, you know, I wish more and more. You know, it's convicting when you get home of the way you want to live more at home, the way you are when you're abroad on something so intense like this. But I think as we try and learn from it now, it's changed a lot of our um, uh, priorities and as a family of how we spend our time and who we um, open our house up to even more to have those into our family's life. And um, like I said, this high altitude training, I feel like, has expanded us. And now we don't want to shrink back. We want to keep our capacity much larger. That's been a big deal. So God really called me into college ministry. I've always felt called into youth ministry. And so I spent all this time on a Ph.D. And I really just wanted to do college ministry the whole time. But anyway, he, he really fashioned us, we realized, this trip through a high altitude training how to open our hearts. He, he showed us what our house is for, our, liter- our literal house, but also our, our figurative home, right? The, f- the five of us. How do we open ourselves to more family members? How do we engage the college students at greater levels? And so we came back with a whole new vision of our weekly itinerary. How, how do we build in time for these college students to come in, 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 you know, into our home? And how do we continue to sow into their lives? And so God uh, has increased our capacity. That's one of the big deals, right, from this trip. Increasing our capacity to to open our hearts, which sounds very kind of abstract, but in many ways it feels very practical, right? Because at a certain point, I'm, I'm quite the introvert. I, I know I may not seem like that up here, but I like my alone time. And I feel like God is, has allowed me more time with others to truly really pull them in and to invest and to uh, sacrifice and, and so forth. That's a, that's a big deal. We, we actually didn't discuss this at all. So Naomi, Jack, brace yourselves. But I'm going to ask you a question right now. Um, could you put up the Isaiah 38 passage again? So, you know, we talk a lot about parents, you know, putting their house in order. And that's another way to say, you know, make changes, put things the way they should be. So what was crazy to me, because, you know, we, we talk a lot about how can we get the Nortons and the Roses together and do this together. And it's not realistic for, well, any of us really. Let's be honest here. Um, but when you came back, like... I'm assuming things looked a little crazy, like look weird. Like, why do we do things this way? And then, I mean, you guys are very involved. You have a lot of friends, and yet leaving wasn't hard for you. So two questions. One, why was it not hard to leave to go do this? That's the first question. The second question is when you came back, what did you want to change? And you don't have to have an answer if you're like, I haven't figured that out yet. But whichever one you want to answer in whatever order. Oh, yeah, I want, like, um, coming back from the trip was hard because um, I wanted to serve more and to, like, be with the college students and um, 
when we were in Cambodia, that's the one I think of when I think of the trip. It's not my favorite country, but I said, like, I wish it, I, like, would have enjoyed it more because now I'm, like, on the trip. Sometimes I wish I was home, and then sometimes I wish I um, and then when I'm here, sometimes I wish I was still on the trip. And so. It was a daily service. Yeah, it was a daily service that I loved a lot. <laughs> yeah, part of that is, part of that is that Eric and I are involved in college ministry, right? And so when we get home, we realize these dudes have been doing ministry right alongside us for five months, and they come back and, and they're just doing their sports and stuff around town, and, and they start to crave a more intentional kind of outreach, which is kind of awesome, actually. So we've spoiled them a bit. <laughs> why is it? Why was it hard? Not hard to leave. Why do you want to go? Yeah, I mean, Jack, you guys don't know this. You will know this in about ten years, maybe. But he's a super athlete, and he loves football and basketball. And that was the thing in my head. I was like, wait, Jack is, like, young. He was, like, cool with leaving all of that, just, like, stopped for five months. How did you do that? Why were you excited? Like, you weren't just like, oh, I'm okay with it. You're like, yeah, let's leave. Why? Um, because, like, I, I really like to, like, travel and, like, to serve other people. So it's, if you, like, this, if you see, like, all the poor around the world, it make, makes you want to serve more. So... Like, it wasn't, because I went the first time, so I knew how, like, poor the places that we were going, how poor they were. So I wanted to, like, go back and, like, serve them. Like, I wanted to, like, go to other countries and, like, serve them. And because I saw how, like, poor they were, so I wanted to, like, serve and make them better. I know what a lot of you are thinking right now. My kids won't even make my, their bed. I don't think he does that either. No. <laughs> so, and, and this is important too, because I was a little nervous about us doing this because it, the way Erica described it, it's perfect. What they did isn't sustainable. Like athletes, when they do their high altitude training, they just can only do it for a period of time, but they do it for a purpose. And so they did this one, because they felt called two because they're serving these college students, but they did as a family because they felt that they were called to serve, and this was high-altitude training for them. So when you come back, what advice or counsel do you have for us in closing, for those with families, for those going to have families, for those that, um, whose families, now their grandparents or great-grandparents, what, what counsel do you have? For, what did you learn that we could learn from? I'll start, and then you finish up, because you have a couple cool comments on this one. So the godly wisdom for oikos. Using that cool term, I like that. I had to look that up, though. Um, so the travel and the service schedule is intense. That's what we have on this trip. A very intense travel and service schedule. It's just very uh, intense is the best way to put it. As we come back, we have all this time, all this, quote-unquote, free time. It feels a little lavish, right? What are we going to do with our, our days? So just serve myself, go to the mall and buy stuff. That, that feels awesome. I mean, it's nice to be able to have Starbucks within, you know, reaching distance of anywhere I am in, in Orange County. It's so nice. That's a really beautiful thing. They don't have that other parts of the world. Take note, right? <laughs> suffering. That's called suffering for five months. Starbucks. I love me some Starbucks. Um, we got home with this sense of all this lavish buckets of time. And so it became this prayerful thing for us. How are we going to use our time? I want to use our time thoughtfully. The trip mocks us as we come back, right? We, we do all this intentional stuff and it's so beautiful and, and glorious. We come back and I feel mocked by the trip. Like, oh yeah, big Christian guy. Now what are you doing? You like that mall time? You like all that surf time for yourself? And it just becomes this, it feels gluttonous. 
when I think about this question, oikos, how, what, are the, what are the things we bring back? It's the idea of how intentional can we be with our actual home? How intentional can we be with our time and our energy? And to be thoughtful and prayerful about our weekly itinerary and how we're going to spend our time. We, just yesterday, we were talking about, are we going to do tackle football? Is this the fall? And we're going round and round. And I said, let's just pray. You know, let's just pray. We should have been praying an hour ago before we were going back and forth. And so Jack prayed. We just kind of talked through it with the Lord. That was, that's a big deal. I know it sounds, again, abstract in a way. But we feel that is the most practical way to use our time prayerfully on the itinerary. Pulling out the, the schedule book and saying, where, where can we be doing things differently? How can we be more intentional about what we really say God has called us to be a part of? Um, we talked just briefly about the Sheffield thing. That's, I think that kind of fits too. Um, so many people thought we were nuts four years ago when we were going to take our six and nine-year-old to all the countries we did and to be gone. And then I think they thought we were doubly nuts um, this time taking, they were a little older this time, 11 and 13, but we were taking a two-year-old and he turned two on the trip. And I mean, the most travel we had done with two-year-olds, I mean, when they were little, we had gone on some flights and things, but I mean, how many of you have been on an airplane with a two-year-old? Not fun. But um, it's a huge, like, I think one of the greatest lessons I learned on this trip is that God desires for us to be used in other people's lives no matter what stage of life we're at. And I think many times back, even when they were little, sometimes I was tempted to, to think, well, you know, I'll do this when they're this age. We can do this as a family when they're self-sufficient. We can do this, da 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 da, da on and on. And I think... Um, this trip, I mean, I remember the very first few weeks looking at my life, the way I was on this trip, and I was chasing a two-year-old all around the world. <laughs> and I actually felt really bad the first few weeks. I thought, gosh, I'm so not doing my job of, like, being the mom to these college students and helping them and my organizational skills I feel like I could give to this team. That's my normal go-to, my things that I feel like I'm good at. And I wasn't doing any of it. All I was doing was chasing my two-year-old around the world. And it dawned on me, I believe it was God, that really gave me this answer was, you could be home chasing your two-year-old around, or you can be where I've called your family to this time, chasing your two-year-old. Like, you're going to be a mom of a two-year-old no matter where you are. And this is where he had me. And so to just be that, be a good mom of my two-year-old and my, obviously my older kids as well, but um, your ministry this time on this trip is going to look totally different. And the way you are and the things that you normally think you're good at, you're probably not going to do any of those. You're just going to end up being you and you're going to, um, and so God used me in a whole different way this time. Like I mainly just chased Sheffield around and would walk around with, you know, maybe the the, the wife of the ministry people we were with and just get to know her and encourage her. And she encouraged me and that was my role. My role was totally different. So my takeaway this time now that I'm home too is, is, um, is not being afraid of what God's going to ask us to do next because he's been so faithful to our family to ask us to do some kind of crazy weird things, um, at stages where I don't think we normally we would be prone to say yes, but I feel like because we've said scarily said yes a couple times and then we've seen him be faithful and pave the way and our little Sheffield he was the healthiest of the whole team I mean we had so many bug bites we had so many sicknesses on the team and that little boy he didn't get one bug bite he never got sick 
I mean, it was miraculous. It was unbelievable, God's protection of him. And so that was a learning lesson for us to jump in a little more um, fully the next time God asks us to do something. So, Yeah, the idea of seeing where we are right now as God's equipping, right? And using what we might think is our limitations. We have a two-year-old. It's going to hold us back. We can't really do kind of that crazy Nepali mountain climbing ministry we all dreamed about. God had us opening doors, had little Sheffield opening doors we never thought could be opened otherwise, right? And it was an amazing thing to see him use us at, a, at what would appear a very limited stage, right? I mean, these guys are pretty mighty in themselves, but still, they're young kids and even a younger Sheffield. Why isn't that holding us back? God used that weakness, if you will, for his strength and for his purpose all around the world. And it really ended up becoming one of the most beautiful things to see him use us in our weakness for his strength. Can I add our last lesson? Our last <laughs> lesson was that it made us love our, the local church and where we are more than ever. And I think you could travel and just have wanderlust after that or whatever, you know, just, oh, well, I can't wait to go to the next country. This was amazing. And it's true. And I loved the countries and I love travel, but we saw such beautiful local churches along the way and communities that we feel blessed to be a part of one here too. And you guys have a wonderful community here and it's a gift. It's a true gift. It made us, even though we traveled, it made us all the more thankful for the body we have back home. When we do this, we don't script it out. We kind of say, this is, these are the scriptures and this is the general direction. And so I noticed the pattern that I want us to close with that I didn't see coming was I asked what lessons did they learn and, and what I heard them say was, well, we had this situation and we were listening to the Lord. Remember when we started, we talked about what is holy, to be set aside, to be set apart, to be set aside as special or distinctive. And they took this activity, this activity that so many of us are, it surrounds us here in this area, this youth sports. Well, Lord, what do you say? You know, and to do that. And then, you know, when Erica said, well, I had this situation with Sheffield and and then the Lord spoke to me. Why did they hear the Lord speak to them? Because they had set themselves aside and were willing to listen. And when we set ourselves aside for God's purposes, he will speak. He will show us. But we have to make that decision first. When we ask, are we holy? None of you are going to go, I'm holy. But if you set yourself aside for God's purposes... Whether you feel holy or not, you are holy because you are set aside. Um, I want to invite the worship team up. Can we thank the Nortons for being here this morning? The, the Nortons are kind of trapped because they're here for the second service, so you guys get to ask them any questions you want. And so um, let's, uh, if we could stand, I want to pray for us. And this, this time, this time of, of worship is time set aside for us to listen, for us to offer up our hearts and to listen. That's what worship is. It's prayer put to music. So during this time of prayer, um, ask yourself, am I holy? Am I set aside? And uh, the offering will come by. For those that are visiting, you can put the connection cards in there. Um, if there's any prayers that you have, please put those in there. Um, let me pray for us. Father, uh, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to hear from your word, to hear the word that you placed in the Norton's heart and in their experiences. 
And so we place ourselves before you now. Not just the offerings in the basket, Lord, but even the, the more important offerings, the offerings of our heart, our lives. We want to, as best as we know how, set ourselves before you. Here we are.